You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Okay, we're going to be reading about a church plant today, uh, and it's uh, going to become a very important church in the history of Christianity, the church in Antioch. Um, Our reading is from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. It's printed for you in the bulletin. Uh, If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts 11, starting at verse 19, this is God's Word. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Gracious God, Give us, please, humble, teachable, and obedient hearts today so that we may receive what you have revealed here and do what you have commanded. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, for many in the West today, and and I would say especially in our own country, Christianity uh, has become something you embrace as a way to achieve comfort, and to uh, reduce problems. Uh, as 19th century Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard once said, uh, the church has become filled with admirers of Jesus when what Jesus wants is imitators. Uh, you know, following Jesus uh, is not about our comfort, right? It's about His glory. It's not about our agendas. It's about His kingdom. It's not about ourselves at all. It's about living for and loving others. 
And it's not about avoiding the cross. In fact, it's about picking up the cross and carrying it yourself. This account of the church in Antioch that we just read should remind each of us that even today, right, God is on the move. He is building His church. He's extending His kingdom. Where? Here in our community and around the world. How? By His power, by His grace. And what that means is that it is incumbent upon you and me, in the name of Jesus, to embrace hardship. To testify uh, obediently and faithfully uh, about the good news of Jesus. And in our living with people to reflect the character uh, of Jesus. There are four truths that I'd like to point out from this text. And they, they come in basically the order of the, uh, order of the story. Uh, first, first truth. Spirit-filled does not mean suffering-free. Spirit-filled does not mean suffering-free. Second truth, uh, God has no A-team. Third, we need sons of encouragement now more than ever. And fourth, a sure sign you belong to Jesus is a heart that wraps around people uh, and a hand that doesn't wrap around your wallet. Uh, that's, that's our outline. Um, so here we go. Truth number one. Spirit-filled does not mean suffering free. You know, I talked about this on Friday with my covenant group brothers, those, those six men I meet with every other week by conference call. And uh, it was my turn to lead, and often when I do that, I, I, uh, I go over the text that I'm going to be dealing with and get, uh, get the... My, my brother's insights. And uh, we read it, and one, one of the guys, there was a pause, and one of the guys spoke up and he said, you know, what stands out to me as I read about this church in Antioch is, the, is how, uh, how present and active and obvious the, the Holy Spirit was, right? He was just all over the place, clearly, clearly at work. And he, and he remarked that his life would be better and his church would be better uh, if the Spirit was more obviously uh, present and active. But then another one of the guys pointed out that, well, you know, you remember that the, it, it looks like the whole context of this story of the church in Antioch it, it involves suffering. And, and he's right, right? That's, it's easy to read over that. Look at the very first verse we read, verse 19, right? All the people that started this church in Antioch were essentially refugees, right? They, they, these were uh, people who uh, had left homes and businesses uh, as they ran for their lives uh, from persecution uh, in Israel, so the church was growing. There was lots of exciting things going on in this, in this budding church in Antioch, yet the people that were involved were personally struggling. I mean, their lives were not easy. They were, they were, they were in many ways struggling and suffering. 
And it's, it's, you know, it reminded me of what, what we, I guess, all know from, from experience is that, uh, is that the Lord does not shield us from suffering. In fact, He, He often brings suffering into our lives. Um, but we have the assurance, uh, even as the Lord leads us on a path into suffering, uh, that uh, He will always use it ultimately for His glory and our good. May not it be easy for us to see it at the time, uh, uh, but it is, that's always true. We, we grow through suffering, don't we? I was reading an article recently written by uh, a woman many of you from, would be familiar with, Johnny Erickson Tata, a Christian writer and speaker uh, who uh, became a quadriplegic as a teenager in a diving accident. And in this article, she was reflecting on suffering, and, and, and she actually wrote in this article that her broken neck was God's plan A for her. And wow, you know, um, and and then she she talked more about that. Of course, that took it. That, you know, that took her time to process. But as she writes in the, wrote in that article, as she was working through for years her quadriplegia and praying to the Lord, she ultimately got to the point where she could tell her friends, and she still tells her friends, and I'm quoting now, God's refusal to make my life easier has been my greatest blessing. God's refusal to make my life easier has been my, great, has been my greatest blessing. Wow. But, you know, it's not just you who, who, who grow through suffering. Um, and, and we all know how that works, right? We, we wouldn't ask it for it. We wouldn't wish it on anybody. Uh, it's not fun going through it. But we know, having gone through it, that we grow, right? We, we, we get closer to the Lord in ways that we never otherwise would. We grow in our faith. Uh, but it's, it's not just us who grow, so does the church, right? The Antioch church was born out of suffering. It would not have existed uh, but for the displacement and the suffering and the persecution uh, of these believers. Look at the church in China, right? Perhaps the fastest growing church in the world right now, even though it's mostly invisible. Why? Because people are being persecuted and suffering. And yet the church is exploding in that context uh, of suffering. So it's a good, it's a good word here, right? To, uh, and I don't it, it, believe me as I say it. I, I am not minimizing your suffering, anyone's suffering. But but as believers in Jesus Christ, we do not have to be thrown into despair by our suffering. We can, we can patiently bear it. We can patiently persevere through it. Knowing that God is in it. And God is accomplishing His purposes through it. And He will unfailingly get you through it. No suffering of any believer is ever meaningless. It's not. So the Spirit, so Spirit-filled, right, does not mean suffering free. That's the first thing we learn from our brothers and sisters in Antioch. Truth number two, God doesn't have an A-team. 
The reason I think it's important to note this is, is that the world operates with A teams, right? This is how the world operates with, with, with A teams. And, and because that's how the world operates, it's easy to begin to think that this is how everything operates, including the church. Not so. Lewis, C.S. Lewis called this phenomenon the, the, uh, uh, the inner ring. R- wrote a wonderful article about what he called the inner ring, right? Wh- what's the inner ring? It's that select group of people, right? In your contexts, where, wherever your context is, right? It's that select group of people who make the decision, get the perks, have the inside information before anybody else, speak at all the conferences you, mu- you have to go to. Right. It's it's the dime. We have names for it, right? It's the diamond circle or the platinum club. It's the people I have to wait for while they board the airplane and I don't. <laughs> it's the popular kids in your school. And for a lot of us, the inner ring is an idol of our hearts. We really want to get in those rings, right? We want to get in that ring. Why? Because we think if we think we if we get in, we think will that now will be really useful, really successful, really influential. I, you know, I'll be able to accomplish what I want to accomplish. I'll be fulfilled. And and friends, it's 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 just not true. Um, you know, the inner ring is really ultimately kind of a mirage I mean you get you get there you get into it and it kind of it, it, it sort of evaporates why because you discover that there are rings within rings right and and often it's it's once you're in it's there's no guarantee you stay in I, I remember Linda uh, when I was in law school, Linda was putting me through law school by teaching, and she had a, 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 a elementary school class that was that had a, a tough inner ring, and and they would they were you know a few kids and they would let they would let one person in at a time just for the privilege of kicking them out. They'd let them in for a few weeks and oh, they were all jazzed because now they're in this inner ring. They're one of the popular kids. And then they just cut their heart out right, by, by, by excluding them. It's hard. Once you're in the inner ring, it's, you, don't, you don't always stay there. Um, listen, the, the only place you're going to find genuine usefulness and success and fulfillment is in the wide open ring of the love and acceptance of Jesus. And that's a ring you never get tossed out of. Jesus will not forsake you. Um, Well, why all this talk about inner rings and A-teams? Well, I, I want you to just see who planted the Antioch church, right? It wasn't Barnabas. You know, it, and it wasn't Paul, who's still called Saul here, but that's Paul the apostle. But look at verses twenty and twenty-one. It was the, it was people whose names we don't even know, anonymous to us, 
anonymous to history. Uh, believers in Christ from Cyprus, an island in the Mediterranean off the coast of Turkey, uh, and from Cyrene, uh, a city in North Africa in what is today uh, Libya. Just regular men and women. Believers who had, had to pull up stakes, right, on, on the run from persecution, left their homes, left their, left their businesses, found themselves in Antioch, uh, and, and, and as they're rebuilding their lives in this new city. And Antioch was a major city. It's called, it was called the third city of the Roman Empire. There was Rome, there was Alexandria, and then there was Antioch. Probably population of half a million. It's a big city. Uh, and because it was in you know, trade routes, it was a very cosmopolitan city. Uh, large Jewish population, large Greek population, lots of uh, uh, nationalities represented. Uh, and and these, these believers uh, started, uh, first were just speaking to Jews, but then these people started speaking to Gentiles, Hellenists, Greeks. Uh, and, uh, and, the, and it says the hand of the Lord was with them, and, and, and the Lord starts converting these people, right? I suspect that it's why these people were first called Christians in Antioch is that these people just couldn't stop talking about Christos, Christ. And so they were called Christians. But the, but the point here is that this is how God works, right? Here's this major extension of the kingdom, this planting of a church that is going to become super important. Uh, it, how, how, how did that happen? Well, it's not the work of professionals. It's not the work of the super spiritual, right? It's, 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 it's the work of people like you who just go and testify faithfully as, as the Lord gives opportunity about Jesus Christ. And, and notice, those, those people, they didn't wait around for the Spirit to somehow supernaturally equip them and then they testified. It's, they, they move to the city, they start talking, and as they start testifying, the hand of the Lord comes upon them. That's how God always works. Right? We don't sit in the boat waiting for something uh, supernatural to happen. Uh, we obey, we, get, we, we, we step out of the boat, and as we step out, uh, as you step into your neighborhoods, uh, right, the Lord then goes with you as you open your mouth. That's just the way, the way it works. God doesn't have an A-team, though. It's all us. It's us. Okay, truth number three. Uh, we need sons of encouragement now more than ever. Um, Barnabas was not his real name. Uh, his real name was Joseph. We learned that, if you remember, way back in Acts chapter 4, uh, when uh, this man named Joseph sold a piece of property he owned and gave all the proceeds uh, to the church. That was the setup for Ananias and Sapphira. Um, even at that point, Joseph had already been given a nickname. And his nickname was Barnabas. And in Hebrew, Barnabas means son of of encouragement. So, all, you know, way before 
the episode we just read, uh, Barnabas was known as a as an encourager. And so as an encourager, it, you know, it seems like he was probably, that's probably why he was the choice uh, f- from, of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem to go see what was going on in Antioch, right? As word gets back to Jerusalem, wow, something's going on. Uh, let's send somebody that's, and it, and it could be an encouragement. Um, and so they send Barnabas. But I, I want to... I want us to focus on his ministry of encouragement and kind of what it was like, what he was like, uh, because this is this is something we 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 need, the church needs uh, uh, today, especially. Um, so let, let me point out a few things about his, his this ministry of encouragement that Barnabas had. Um, first, I mean, do you do you know people? Um, that who always just see the problems, right? It's always just first they're presented with anything, and it's and it's always just like this rain cloud comes down because they see all the problems. Um, do you know people whose instinct it is to say whose sort of knee jerk reaction is to say no rather than yes? Do you know people who are threatened by innovation, right? Uh, threatened by things that they they didn't come up with, they don't control. I suspect you probably know people like that. Um, That would have been likely been some of the people in in the Jerusalem church. Right? This is we've got something uncontrolled going on here. Uh, It's just it's being handled by nobody, just regular folks. Uh, you know, what's going on? Gentiles are involved. There'd have been a lot of questions, a lot of skepticism, probably a desire to rein in control. Um, but that's not Barnabas, is it? And that's not how Barnabas reacted. I mean, Barnabas gets there, he gets to Antioch, and what does he see? Verse 23. The grace of God. He sees the grace of God. So he's able to look through and, and look at what's happening and, and, and then kind of look through it and see, this is God's grace operating here. God in His grace is, is coming to undeserving people, Jews and Gentiles, and bringing them into uh, faith and bringing them into uh, the church. And not only that, Barnabas was happy about it. Right? It says he was glad. See, so Barnabas is a, is a guy who sees, if, if he sees that God is doing something by grace, then, then he is all in. He's all in with God on this, okay? That's the first thing. Second thing, specifically on, on encouragement. Uh, it also in verse 23, it says, our, our translation says, He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Um, more literally, the Hebrew would read like this. He encouraged them, exhort, encourage, same word. He encouraged them all. He encouraged them all with purpose of heart to remain in the Lord. So we've got this ministry of encouragement. It's not exactly evangelism. And it's not preaching, really. And it's, nor is it teaching. 
Uh, now Barnabas and Paul later did teaching. The believers were out there doing evangelism. He's doing something sort of in between, this, this ministry of encouragement. Um, now, encourage is, and our translations struggle with that word. Sometimes it's, it'll say, your translations might say exhort or encourage. They may even say something else. And, and it's because this word is, means a lot of things at once. And it's, it's hard to bring it into English. Um, it's, you know, we could think of encourage sort of on the extremes. It could be kind of like a little league parent rah-rah from the sidelines, right? Or it could be sitting next to someone and holding their hand. But this, is, this isn't either of those things. Uh, it's, it's really communicating three things at once. It communicates the idea of calling someone to come alongside, to come beside you. Here, come, come with me. Come alongside me. That's one kind of meaning of this word. It also communicates the idea of speaking strongly, urging strongly. Right? So strong words, strong truths. Um, but then thirdly, it communicates the idea of acting congenially, friendly. Right? So, so Barnabas was strong and gentle and present. Right? All at once, simultaneously. And, you know, that's, that's not something that you'd sort of come by naturally. That's a, that is a unique combination. It sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Strong and gentle. Present. Uh, and that's in, indeed, you know, it, it isn't natural with Barnabas. I mean, it's, we know that from verse 24. It says he was doing this. Why? Because he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. This is something the Holy Spirit grew in him. This is fruit of the Spirit. It's ripened in Barnabas. It's a, it's a wonderful ministry, and, it's, and, it's, and it, it actually has an evangelistic effect. As he's engaged in this, people are coming to faith. Right? The third thing, on the top of his strength and his gentleness and his presence and his, his uh, gladness in the grace of God, and not wanting to, you know, control it or whatever. He he there's one other aspect of Barnabas that we you, you need to see and it's all it's it's right here. He is characterized by a remarkable humility, isn't he? A remarkably humble uh man. Um you know, Barnabas was a guy who had it going on. He he had a big reputation in the church. He was probably wealthy. Uh he uh and and had and they people had seen his qualities, his leadership qualities, why he was sent. Um, but notice what he, he doesn't take control of the church, right? He doesn't become its sole leader, right? I'm the big guy from Jerusalem. Let me show you how it's done. Um, he quietly engages in this ministry of encouraging. 
and, and comes along and supports them in what the Lord is doing through these people. Um, and then, at some point, he recognizes this church needs somebody other than me. Uh, this church needs a person, a leader who has gifts uh, different from mine, gifts better than mine. And so what does he do? He travels, he leaves Antioch temporarily, goes to Tarsus, not an easy trip, searches for, the word there is, you know, he searched anxiously for, same word of the, the, it's used of Mary and Joseph when they went back to Jerusalem to look for Jesus, when he got lost in Jerusalem. <laughs> Right, They're, So he's searching anxiously for Saul, finds him, and brings him back uh, to, to, to Antioch. Um, not surprisingly, right, Barnabas already knew Paul. Uh, he, remember, when, when Saul was converted, the Christians were afraid to get near him. This is a dangerous guy, I'm not sure his conversion is genuine, this might be a trick. Who gets close to Paul? Barnabas. Barnabas comes alongside Paul, talks to him, gets his story, uh, listens to his story, and then takes him to Jerusalem, vouches for him to the rest of the church. So, so Barnabas knows Paul, knows his gifts, knows his story, knows that Jesus knocked him off a horse and said, you're my chosen instrument to go to the Gentiles. And so Barnabas... Right again, wanting to not about himself, but about the Lord, uh, goes and gets a man with better gifts than his own. The man called to be God's chosen instrument to the Gentiles, and brings him in. And ultimately, as we'll see as we move through Acts, Barnabas begins to back off and willingly takes a back seat to Paul. Um, that's that is rare, right? Men and women, you see that a lot in your business? You don't, right? That kind of willingly backing off, willingly pushing others forward, that's Barnabas, the son uh, of encouragement. So many of our businesses today, in our schools, uh, in other institutions, and even in the church, unfortunately, we have... Too few sons of encouragement and too many sons of discouragement. Right? Um, you know, under the influence of social media, under the influence of the pandemic and whatever that did to us, right, we're, we're inclined to speak and deal with each other in ways that are distinctly not Barnabas-like. Right? We, we hear things like, my way or the highway. Right? I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, if you don't agree, I'm gone. Right? We are uh, quick to talk strongly, but not quick to talk gently. Right? We're fast to speak, but slow to listen. And the Bible says it should be reversed. Quick to listen, slow to speak. We're prone to bail on people, right? Rather than come alongside as, as Barnabas did, and, and do the hard work of walking with and living with and working with and loving people. I recently read another article in a leadership ch- 
church leadership journal about a pastor who who had discovered painfully that he had become a son of discouragement. Um, and, it, and it happened in, in, a, in a painful two-hour period. <laughs> he, uh, he stopped by, he was driving by, and he stopped by a family's home, family in his church, and he gets out of his car and he sees their little daughter playing in the front yard, and he, he said, uh, can you please go inside and tell your mommy and daddy that the pastor is here? And he, so she runs in, and, he, and he, the pastor writes in this article, As soon as she gets inside, I heard her yell, Mommy, Mommy, the angry man who shouts in church is here. He's going, ooh. Right? Ooh. Didn't like to hear that. Uh, less than two hours later, uh, he runs into another couple in his church, an elderly couple, and this pastor starts talking to them energetically and passionately about the new building program. And uh, the old man finally interrupts him and says, Pastor, I appreciate your passion, uh, but you are our pastor. And my wife and I are at a stage in life now where we really need you we need to hear from you something that Jesus has whispered to you that we need to hear. Something that Jesus has taught you that, that would encourage us. That's what we need. And again, it was like, ah, oh, this pastor, right? Uh, in the space of two hours, he, you know, he's sort of has these two rebukes and he's realized that he's, he's become a, a son of discouragement. He's getting in the way of, of people knowing Jesus and uh, and he repents and and reorients himself to the Holy Spirit and one of his models in this article uh, was of course Barnabas and and his prayer was as he was repenting and returning and reorienting his life around the Spirit he said I want, you know I want to be present and congenial and truthful and gracious and humble and teaching and caring and bridging and encouraging like. Barnabas. So this this account of the church in Antioch and, and Barnabas' ministry there has caused me to examine my own life, and it ought to cause you to examine yours, right? Are you are you seeing Barnabas-like fruit growing in your life? And if if the answer is no, then you know repent and ask the Lord to ripen his his fruit. Is the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Okay, finally, uh, truth four. A sure sign you belong to Jesus is a heart that wraps around people and a hand that doesn't wrap around your resources. Um, this comes, of course, from the end of that chapter, verses 27 through 30, when Agabus, this prophet, there were still prophets uh, in those early days of the church. Uh, and he came from Jerusalem to Antioch to prophesy to them that a famine was coming. Luke parenthetically tells us that it did during the reign of Emperor Claudius. This would have been in the early 40s. You know, the real 40s, like 44 <laughs> A.D., something like that. Um, and uh, 
what's fascinating, right, is here's this new church made up of largely new believers, and and this prophet speaks to them, and just believing the prophet in faith in the word that came through the prophet, even before that word comes true, even before the famine, uh, these believers, uh, many of whom were Gentiles, some Jews, some Gentiles, cared enough about their mostly Jewish Christian brothers and sisters in Judea to take up an offering for them, for famine relief even before the famine starts. And each, according to his ability, gave, and they, and they, and they came up with this offering uh, for believers they didn't even know. You know, if Christ is in you, friends, uh, you will have a new level of cons- love and concern for other people, all people, but especially you will have a new level of concern um, as f- for people, as Paul says, in the household of faith, right? Our, our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that maybe you don't even know. And I, you know, I, as your, one of your pastors, I'm grateful to see that in you as we have, you know, we support missionaries and as we've reached out and as we need to reach out to, to, through our brothers and sisters in Turkey to help the people in Turkey who are hurting so badly, right? And by the way, if you can go on the Mission to the World website and there's ways you can give to that work. Our own uh, Eric and Stephanie Swadell have family over there that are missionaries and uh, they are accepting donations too to help the people there. And it's, just, it's what Christians do. And I, I was reading one book. It said this, this, in many ways this was revolutionary. It was not like other cults of the day you know, in the Roman Empire. Lots of different religions. But there was no sense that you know, some worshiper of, of a pagan deity over here in this part of the Roman Empire would have any kinship with, with, with the worshippers of the same deity over here. There, was, there wasn't a, that family connection. You kind of did your own thing here and you did your own thing here. Christianity kind of broke the mold there. there there's, there's a sense in which we are really brothers and sisters. We are really family and we're going to help each other out. So Christ in us you know, grows that love and concern. Uh, and, and if Christ is in you, uh, you'll find yourself becoming more generous with your resources. Right? Just holding things more loosely. Now, you know, we, don't, we haven't done that perfectly. Right? I, I don't think the church, uh, uh, the church generally... Uh, did very well in the Y2K crisis when we started with all the rest of them, in fact, kind of leading in the hoarding of resources. Um, In some of this uh, supply chain crisis more recently, uh, there's been hoarding, right? And I will, I have to admit, I did hoard toilet paper. (laughs) But maybe you get a pass for toilet paper, I don't know, no. Um, now, Christians shouldn't be hoarding, right? Uh, the one thing that characterizes a Christian's attitude towards his resources is, you know, responsible stewardship, but a loose hold. A loose 
hand uh, on, on those things. Why? Because because we belong to Jesus. Right? You're a co-heir with Christ. You're destined to live forever. You have eternal security. We have Jesus' promise that He'll take care of us now and forever. And so our resources, uh, money, property, time, all become really just tools for us to use, to invest for God's glory as princes and princesses in, in God's kingdom. You know, I'll, I'll close with this. You know, as you think about, about this, ultimately... It all comes back to Jesus, not surprisingly, right? Jesus Christ and what He did in living. What He did in living so that you would be credited with His perfect living, His righteousness, when you believe in Him. right? What Jesus did in dying so that you would receive forgiveness, your sins would be completely paid for, past, present, and future. Uh, what he did in rising from the dead in order to become your reigning king and your advocate and your high priest. All of that, which is we, we put under the umbrella of, of one word, the gospel, right? All of that is really the power source for everything we've talked about here this morning, right? You can give generously of your resources. Why? Because Jesus gave his life for you. We can hold on tight to our resources when Jesus gave his life. You can be humble and gentle and strong and truthful and present like Barnabas with other people. Why? Because Jesus humbled himself for you. Because Jesus speaks the truth and love to you even today. Jesus is present with you now even today and has promised to never leave you or forsake you. And at the end of the day, we can embrace hardship. We can suffer for the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus suffered for you. Right? Now when we look at Jesus, right, there's just such a moral authority and a moral compulsion in what, who Jesus is and what He did for us. Right? When we see how generously and richly He served us and gave to us, how can we not turn around and encourage and serve and be generous uh, like He was? Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for uh, a grace-shaped church. Thank You for being here. Thank You for the grace You give us. Thank You, Lord, for the evidence of the work of the Spirit that I see in, in so many of my brothers and sisters here. And Lord, of course we're not, we're not perfect, but we, we ask that you would continue uh, to, to work in us. Um, cause us not to run from suffering, but to embrace it. Cause us, Lord, not to rely on clergy people, or, but to get out there and do the work. As you empower us, you know, we're, we're, we are your A-team. Help us to have ministries of encouragement like Barnabas. And Father, loosen our hand on our resources uh, as we trust in you. Um, 
thank you. Thank you so much for the gift of your son. And it's in his name we pray. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.